William Frey, retired Episcopal bishop from Colorado, told this story. When I was young, I volunteered to read to a student named John who was blind. One day I asked him, how did you lose your sight? A chemical explosion, John said, at the age of 13. How did that make you feel? I asked. Life was over. I felt helpless. I hated God, John responded. For the first six months, I did nothing to improve my lot in life. I ate all my meals alone. Then one day, my father entered my room and said, John, winter's coming and the storm windows need to be put up. That's your job. I want those hung by the time I get back this evening or else. Then he turned and walked out of the room and slammed the door. I got so angry. I thought, who does he think I am? I'm blind. I was so angry. I decided to do it. I felt my way to the garage, found the windows, located the necessary tools, found the ladder, all the while muttering under my breath, I'll show them, I'll fall. Then they'll have a blind and paralyzed son. John continued. I got the windows up. And I found out later that never at any moment was my father more than four or five feet away from me. That's a great story. Being a father can be hard. And sometimes it appears we are hard. And sometimes maybe we have to be hard. But just like illustrated in this story, I hope it's because we are committed to seeking the very best for our children. This morning we're going to look at some Some very hard words from Jesus. Who is more than committed to seeking the very best for those who follow him. In his book, 
not a fan. Kyle Eidelman dives into this subject of commitment. Particularly as it relates to those who call themselves Christian. In essence, he asks the question. Are you a follower of Jesus? Or are you simply a fan? In his question... Eidelman expresses concern that many churches are filled with fans rather than committed followers of Christ. And let me explain the difference. A follower of Christ is a person who has a relationship with Jesus and is committed to live their lives according to his teaching. In the early church, before the word Christian was accepted, all followers of Christ were called disciples. A disciple is a student who learns from someone else. And today, we might describe a disciple as an apprentice who studies and learns by working alongside their teacher. And applied to Jesus, it is doing what He says and going where He leads taking Him at His Word, and putting His ways into practice in our lives. A fan of Jesus, on the other hand, is merely an admirer. I mean, they cheer for Jesus on Sunday because He's a really great guy. They connect with Jesus from time to time when it's convenient for them or more likely when they need something. They want the benefits. They want salvation and a, and a heavenly inheritance. But they're not interested in following Him because that might require something from them or it may interfere with their lives. A fan would prefer to have a no-strings-attached arrangement with Jesus so he doesn't change how they live their lives. For a fan... They don't want to truly commit to Jesus, but they have no problem claiming His name. Calling themselves Christian. So back to the question posed to you. Are you a follower of Jesus? Or are you simply a fan. 
I want to explore this subject of being a, a committed follower of Christ. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning or your applications, whatever you might have, turn to Luke chapter 9 and we will begin with verses 18 and 19. So Luke chapter 9, beginning with verse 18 and 19. Are you there? Okay. Verse 18. And it happened that while he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he questioned them, saying, Who do people say that I am? They answered and said, John the Baptist. And others say, Elijah. But others, that one of the prophets of old has risen. Let's stop there. Jesus had just fed 5,000 men. Not counting women and children. With five loaves of bread and two small fish. If you recall, Jesus commanded his disciples to distribute what they had to the crowd. Which must have seemed crazy to the disciples. But they took Jesus at his word and did what he said. And as they were handing it out, it kept multiplying. So much so that 12 baskets of leftovers were gathered after everyone in the crowd had their fill. It must have been amazing for the disciples to take part in this miracle. But there was no doubt by anyone who was the source of this miracle. They trusted Jesus. They took him at his word. They obeyed him even though his command seemed absolutely crazy. And they witnessed a mighty work of God where thousands of people were fed with meager resources. Afterwards, we are told elsewhere that because of what Jesus did, he perceived The people were intending to come and take him by force to make him their king. So Jesus withdrew to the mountain. He slipped away from everyone else to go pray alone. But the disciples find him. So Jesus turns this opportunity into a teaching moment. And he asks his disciples a question. Who do people say I am? What are the crowds saying about me? Well, the disciples reported that there were several ideas being floated Amongst the people. Some suggested that Jesus was John the Baptist. Who had come back to life after being executed by Herod. Others thought he might be Elijah. 
or another prophet of old. The people had no problem of thinking that Jesus was somehow a man sent by God. And they even considered that God might bring a hero back to life to carry out his divine plan. But the people did not aim high enough in their thoughts about who Jesus really was. For no one, no one in the crowd suggested that Jesus just might actually be the Messiah. No one said that. Then Jesus sought to hear from those who had been with him. So Jesus asks his disciples a personal question. Look at verse 20. Look at verse 20. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter said, The Christ of God. Who do you say that I am? This simple question may be the most important question in their lives. And in our lives. Because what people think about Jesus should influence how they live their lives. And most importantly... What people think about Jesus also determines their eternal destiny. In other words, you can't be wrong about Jesus and be right with God. It just can't happen. Do I need to say that again? You can't be wrong about Jesus and be right with God. It's impossible. Well, as usual, while the others were thinking about it, Peter spoke up. And he said, you are the Christ of God. In other words, you are the anointed one. God's Messiah. Jesus was the one the Old Testament was talking about and pointing to. He was the one for whom all Israel had hoped for and been waiting for. He was the source of deliverance for God's people. Peter gave the correct answer. But Jesus gave a surprise response. Look at what he said in verses 21 and 22. This is Jesus speaking. But he warned them and instructed them not to tell this to anyone, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed 
and be raised up on the third day. Jesus was pleased that his disciples were coming to know who he really was. But he still didn't want his identity becoming public knowledge before the proper time. Because the disciples couldn't proclaim that Jesus was the Messiah until they first understood what being the Messiah actually meant. And he tells them something very hard to swallow. Jesus says, because he is the Christ, Because he is the Messiah, he must suffer. He must die. He must be raised to life. This is not what the disciples had in mind for the Messiah. It's not what the Jews expected. They pictured the Messiah bringing deliverance and victory and national domination. They envisioned the Messiah leading them into battle over their enemies like the Roman Empire. They had the notion of the Messiah as being the reigning king who would set up his earthly kingdom. They expected the Messiah to be a ferocious and powerful lion, so to speak. And here Jesus tells them the Messiah is actually... A sacrificial lamb. The lamb that God has sent. Who must suffer. Who must die. And who must be raised to life. This is not what anyone had envisioned. This is not what anyone had expected for the Messiah. And this explains why Jesus warned them not to tell anyone. Because they did not fully understand that the Messiah was actually sent to save sinners. With his own life. From this we learn. That who Jesus is. Determines what Jesus must do. Jesus was on a rescue mission. He was on a rescue mission. Sent by God to purchase our salvation. 
And it was a necessity that he suffer and die for our sin. Becoming our substitute as a sacrificial lamb on our behalf. And three days later, resurrected. Proving his rescue mission was completed. Bringing a lost people back into a right relationship with a holy God. The disciples needed to know that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah. And what that meant He must do. And they would only come to understand this after Jesus was raised from the dead. The disciples needed to accept this hard truth about Jesus before they could fully understand what they were meant to do. Before they knew what they were meant to do, they had to know what Jesus was meant to do. Does that make sense? And that brings us to verse 23. And he, Jesus speaking, and he was saying to them all, listen to this. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. This is a a fairly well-known passage. A passage with some very hard teaching. As Jesus gives us the conditions to be His disciple. And quite frankly, there is nothing in here that seems appealing to me. As we already covered, Jesus had told His disciples what He must do. Right? He's told His disciples what He must do. Now he tells his disciples what they must be willing to do. In this verse, Jesus gives an open invitation to anyone who wants to be his disciple. And he points out three things they must do. The first being, as his disciple, they must deny themselves. In context, that word deny means to disown someone. To disown someone. And later, it will be Peter who gives a great example of what that really looks like when he denies Jesus by claiming, I don't know the man. In a sense, Peter disowned Jesus. 
And here, Jesus tells us that we also have to disown someone. We have to disown someone. And that someone is yourself. That's hard. That's hard. And for many of us, that teaching is completely backwards. It goes against our natural grain. And we live in a world that tells us, put yourselves first. It reminds me of a story, I've told this before I think, of an older and and a younger brother whose, uh, whose mother was cooking pancakes. Both boys wanted to be first to eat those hot, butter-melted pancakes. Seeing a teachable moment, the mother said, Now boys, what would Jesus say if he was here? They stopped, looked a little confused, and then their mother says, Jesus would say, My brother, you have the first pancake. I'll wait. The older brother looks at the younger brother and says, Hey, John, you be Jesus. (laughs) Takes a while. Many of us are too focused on looking out for ourselves. But Jesus challenges us to deny ourselves, to realize It's not all about me and my will and my wants and my desires. It's about Him. Jesus wants us to stop living self-centered and self-absorbed lives. Because if we don't, we will ignore God and start loving things and using people. He wants us to stop making a big deal about ourselves and make a big deal about Him. For He is the Lamb that God has sent who will suffer and die for mankind and be raised again. He is the only Savior. There is no other. It is about Him. The Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, that in the last days, and these are the last days, people will be lovers of self. And what Jesus tells us is to say no to you and say yes to him. Those who want to be the disciples of Jesus must surrender their right to control their own lives and be willing to give that right to Jesus, exchanging their will for God's will. For there is only room for one master in your life. Only one. At the same time we deny ourselves, there is something else that Jesus wants us to do. He says to take up our cross. 
Take up our cross. So we're to deny ourselves, which sounds pretty hard because it's so unnatural. But we are to take up our cross, which sounds really harsh. And the only way to understand what Jesus is saying here is to see it from the perspective of the original hearers. When Jesus spoke these words in his day, everybody knew what he meant. People saw scores of criminals being crucified by the Romans. Some even being crucified on the side of the roads that led in and out of the cities. In Jesus' day, before a man was crucified, he was forced to carry his own cross. Or at least the horizontal beam of the cross to the place of execution. Before hanging a man on a cross, the cross was first hung on him. And when seeing a man carry his cross, it only meant one thing. Death. A humiliating and torturous death. The first hearers of these hard words didn't need an explanation of the cross. For when someone took his cross, it was a one-way journey that always led to death. So for you and me, who are not subject to first century torture. What does it mean to take up our cross? First, let me explain what it doesn't mean. For instance, some might say, my neighbor or my spouse is giving me a hard time. Oh well, that's just my cross to bear. Or I have pain, I have arthritis in my arm. But this is just a cross I have to bear. This is not what Jesus is talking about when he's talking about bearing your cross or taking up your cross. Taking up your cross refers to giving your whole life to God. Just as Jesus was about to give his life for us. It is a total commitment of turning our lives over to him to do his will every day, no matter what, no matter the cost. Whatever he wants with my life is what must be done with it. Somebody asked A.W. Tozer what it meant to take up your cross. And Tozer told this story. One time a young man came to an old saint who taught 
the deeper life, the crucified life, and said, Father, what does it mean to be crucified? The old man thought for a moment and said, well, to be crucified means three things. First, the man who is crucified is facing only one direction. That's good. When you're crucified, you're only facing one direction. I like that. The old man scratched his scraggly head and said, One more thing, son, about the man on the cross. He is not coming back. He has said his final goodbyes. Thirdly, he said, the man on the cross has no further plans of his own. Do you get that? He's facing one direction. He's not coming back. He said goodbye. And he has no further plans of his own. To take up your cross means that you have made a choice. And you are going to do the Lord's will. No turning back, no matter what, no matter the cost. What I want no longer matters, but I give myself to Him just as He gave Himself for me. Jesus willingly laid down His life and He calls you and me to do the same. Lastly, Jesus says, follow me. The most literal way to define a follower of Jesus is someone who does what Jesus does and goes where Jesus goes. A follower of Jesus might ask him, what would you do in this situation? And given the answer, the follower responds, then I will do it exactly the way you do it. I will do what you do. Simply put, a follower of Jesus follows Jesus. They do what he says and they go where he leads. Otherwise, the follower is not a follower. Does that make sense? I don't know how a person can say they are a follower of Jesus if they aren't or they refuse to follow Jesus. It makes sense. When Jesus called His first disciples, He called four ordinary fishermen to join Him on His journey. Jesus gave a simple invitation to follow him. And all four men immediately left their work, 
left their belongings and left their people to follow Jesus. Everything else was secondary to Jesus. And this serves as a powerful example of what it looks like to follow him. And it presents another good point. When Jesus calls you to follow, He wants to be with you. Jesus wants us to experience a relationship with Him that only comes by following Him. You cannot experience it by being a fan. You only experience this life by being a follower. Putting it all together. What do you hear Jesus saying to you? This is what I hear him saying to me. If you want to be my disciple, give up the rights to your life to me. Surrender to me. Give me your life and come with me on a life-changing journey. No turning back. Follow me. Follow my example. Do what I say. Go where I lead because I want you to be with me and I want to be with you. And in this relationship of ours... You will find life just as I have planned it for you. I will most certainly interfere with your life. I will turn it upside down and inside out. And honestly, there is no fine print here. It will be hard for you. But nothing could be better for you. When we quit fighting for control and surrender everything to Him, when I die to myself and live for Him, I will find life that is truly worth living. And so the invitation hasn't changed. Jesus still says, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Don't overlook that word, anyone. No matter your story, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've become, anyone means everyone. And Jesus wants to have a relationship with you and he asks you to follow him. Alan Redpath had two daughters who loved to swarm him as soon as he came home at night. 
As he came in the door one evening, his little girls ran to be the first to hug daddy. Can you picture this? One grabbed his leg and hugged him with all of her might. He snatched up the other daughter in his arms. The girl squeezing her father's leg said, Now I've got all of daddy. And she smirked at her sister. The daughter in her father's arms replied, Well, you may have all of daddy, but daddy has all of me. That's the real issue when it comes to being a disciple of Christ. In a nutshell, does Jesus have all of me? Tough question. Does Jesus have all of me? That's what he wants. All of you and all of me. Let's pray. Father, we love you. You've been so good to us. Thank you, Father, for sending Jesus to this world. A sinless man who had done no wrong. No wrong. Not a single sin. And you sent him to this world for one purpose. To die for a people who had rebelled against you. I don't understand it, Lord. That even while we were still yet sinners, Jesus died for us. That's mind-boggling, Lord. I thank you that Jesus willingly voluntarily died for us, suffered for us, was tortured for us. He paid a sin debt that he did not owe because we had a sin debt that we could not pay. Couldn't pay it. Thank you for Jesus. The least we can do, Father, is follow Him. And Father, I will admit, some of, some of this teaching is hard. It is very hard. In all honesty, sometimes, Lord, I don't want to do it. I don't want to deny myself. I don't want to take up my cross. There are times when I am right there, Lord. But Father, I trust it is the best thing for 
me. Help me to take you at your word. To trust you. To simply obey you. For I know it is for our best. May you be honored and glorified in our lives. Help us to be surrendered to you. To be yielded to you no matter what. And Father, I thank you that you have included anyone. Doesn't matter what they've done, what they've become. Your invitation is for anyone. Thank you. Thank you, Father, for what you've done. Help us to follow you. May you be honored and glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. That was a tough verse, isn't it? A well-known verse, not a well-liked verse. But there's no fine print there, is there? Jesus just tells it like it is. It's not a bait-and-switch type thing. He just tells you what's expected. And you know, and I had to spend some time... Asking that question of myself. Am I just a fan? Am I just an admirer? I follow him when it's convenient for me? When it doesn't cost me anything? When when he doesn't ask me for anything? Is that what I've become? Or am I truly a follower? He's not wanting fans. He's got plenty of fans in heaven. Multitudes of fans in heavens. He's asking for followers. And that's hard. He's asking for followers. Disciples. I hope the Lord spoke to you this morning. Maybe he's convicted you that, you know what? The truth be said, I sound more like a fan than a follower. You can make that right. You can take that to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm sorry for being a fan. Make me a follower. I want to yield myself to you. I want to surrender my life to you. Do with it as you will. I am yours. I understand there's only room in my life for one master. And I want you to be the master. Maybe the Lord's revealed that to you. Maybe you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior at all. You know about Him. You've heard the stories, but you don't know Him. If God has impressed on your heart to come to know Him, to give Him a shot, please respond. Respond to Him. I would love to introduce you to Him. Maybe you're looking for a church home.
Maybe this is it. Just respond. I'll be here. Love to receive you. However the Lord leads you, just be obedient to His calling. Give Him a chance. Give Him a chance. You won't be disappointed. I would like for Travis, Travis, come sit here. And Russ, come sit here. I didn't say move that. I just said sit. <laughs> Listen to your pastor. <laughs> Last year, uh, I th- yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Je- Jesus, take the will. So it's, so it's a- Last year. Uh, as a church body, we we chose uh, Travis and Russ to be uh, our deacons, new deacons, to serve alongside uh, our chairman deacons, Larry. And not, merely choosing really isn't the really isn't the, the most accurate word to use. Actually, it's it's as a church body we recognized. That God was doing a work in their lives, leading them to this direction. I think that's more accurate. Not, not choosing, simply recognizing what God was already doing. When it comes to the office of deacons, we, 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 first, we first get an idea of this from Acts chapter 6. Where... These men were called to serve tables. They were called to serve tables for widows. While the apostles who served as pastors could, could do their, their duties. And spend time in the word and prayer. And from Acts chapter 6, we, we kind of see three things. One is, is that the, the deacons assist the pastor, they serve the church, and they also share the gospel. And today it's, it's really no different. It's really no different. You assist the pastor. You serve the church willingly with an open heart. And you're able and ready to share the gospel. That's what it's about. But I think more importantly, in the Bible, as we read passages like 1 Timothy chapter 3, the Bible speaks more about, about being In other words, who you are rather than what you do. Does that make sense? It's about who you are rather than what you do. Because the truth of the matter is this. If you're following the Lord, if you're following the Lord, you're following His Word, the doing part comes naturally. It just flows from you.
Does that make sense? And that is my charge to you this morning as brand new deacons. That you would follow Christ. You would follow Christ. Take Him at His word. Trust Him and obey Him. Serve this church. Serve these people. Assist your pastor and be ready to share the gospel. Can you do that? Stay right there. I'm going to dump him in water here. Yeah. <laughs> I have two certificates of ordination, one for, for Travis and one for, for Russell. These are yours just to remind you what you got yourself in. Uh, <laughs> but let me, I, I want to lead uh, the congregation in, in prayer for you. Uh, Heavenly Father, I, I thank you so much for Travis and Russell. And Lord God, I know this is, this is an example of following you through service. And that's what they're called to do, to serve. Just like the early disciples, deacons who, who, who served widows, served tables. Father, I pray that your hand would be upon them, that you would keep them in your word, that you give them a heart of service, a love for your people. I pray, Lord, for their families, as oftentimes we are called in different directions. And Father, I just pray that you would, you would just uh, support their families. And Father, I pray as a church that we would, we would, we would respect them and, and, uh, and be open to their ministry to us. And Father, as, you, as, as a pastor, I pray that I would just, uh, I would just learn to, to, to lean on them. Father, I thank you for these men. May they, may they honor and may they glorify you in their service to you. Service to this church. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So as your first uh, act of of being a deacon, move this furniture. <laughs> we have some baptisms uh, this morning, and, and let me tell you about, about baptism. Uh, baptism is a, is a picture of salvation. That's what it is. It's a picture, it's an outward expression of what's occurred on the inside. Jesus says, if you will confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father. And that's kind of what's, what's happening here. That's what baptism is all about. It doesn't, doesn't save anybody. Jesus is saved. He's the only one who saves. Jesus saves. Nothing else. But baptism is a picture of that salvation. Now let me say this. Let me say this. For someone to say, Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is my Lord. I'm following Him. And refuse to be baptized, which is a command of Jesus to be baptized, then that would cause me to question whether that person is really following the Lord. might even cause me to question their salvation. Does that make sense? This is a picture of salvation. 
So we have three people we are going to baptize this morning. Uh, we have Larry and, there you go, Larry and Kylie and Willow. We're saving Willow for last. <laughs> so, so uh, Larry, you want to come up first? You, you can t- Larry's going to take the chill out of the water. <laughs> Way to go, Larry. <laughs> Larry, upon your profession of faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and in obedience to His command, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Kylie, Kylie, upon your profession of faith in Jesus Christ and in obedience to his command, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Here you go. We have one more baptism. One of the, uh, one of the uh, functions of a deacon is to assist in baptisms. So Travis, Travis is going to baptize his daughter this morning. I just wanted to share something really quick. God gave me two verses this morning. Psalm 127.3 says, Children are a gift from God. And Psalm 37.4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. As we walk with God, our desires change. And I couldn't think of a greater gift than to be able to baptize my daughter and for her to choose to follow Christ. I thank you that you guys are here to share this with us. Willow, are you ready? Willow, as we declare this, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Let me, uh, that's awesome. And we also have certificates for those who are baptized as well. We'll get those to you. Let me pray, uh, we'll close this morning with a prayer for, for our offering and then also a prayer for our fellowship as we partake in food. Heavenly Father, I thank you again for your love and your mercy. I thank you for allowing us to to witness uh, these baptisms. Lord God, I just thank you, Father, for these people, for this church. You're such a good, good Father. Lord God, I, I pray that your uh, that your hand would be upon us and you'd help us as a church to be what we are supposed to be, a lighthouse in this community. Lord, I pray, Lord, for our offering this morning, that you would help us to to use your money, and it is yours, to use it wisely. Give us wisdom and insight and discernment as we we use your resources. Bless, Father, the gift, and bless the giver abundantly. And Father, for the food we're going to partake of here in just a bit, Lord God, I pray for those who have prepared the food for us, who are out there uh, burning the charcoals. Lord, I, I thank you for them. Heavenly Father, I, I also pray that you'd bless the food to our bodies. And Father, more importantly, I pray that you'd bless the fellowship. I pray, Lord, that we just love on each other. 
Just love on one another. Thank you, Father. May you be honored and glorified. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.